everybody. This is Elena Mozana. Welcome to Mind Over Matter podcast. And today I'm going to be talking to Maxime Safiulin, who is a friend for a long, long, long time. And he is a professor of design at Santa Monica College and Art Center College of Design. Welcome, Maxim. Thank you. How are you? Doing quite great. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks for asking. Things, so, things are well. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So just to let everybody know, Maxim and I, um, we actually know each other for more than 20 years um, uh, from Russia. We went to the mm-hmm. same uh, um college together and we have a long history so we know each other for a long long time and I wanted to talk to Max for different reasons uh, to reconnect with Maxim we used to call him Max so I still have a habit uh, with uh, Maxim um, I wanted to reconnect with him because uh, you know I wanted to see where he is in his life and uh, what he's doing and I know he's doing a lot of really awesome things and also to understand how you know what has changed what's different in his life and how how he has grown and what kind of insight he can share with our audience. How does it sound? That sounds fantastic. I'm a little nervous, but because that's <laughs> a lot of expectations to live up to. But You'll be fine. So I, I like your haircut. Satisfy. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. What are you doing? Where are you right now? I am at home. Uh, I am uh, enjoying a summer break. I'm only teaching one class during the summer. Mm-hmm. And that's that's fantastic because usually that's a lot more <laughs> more than that. But um, yeah, I'm home, uh, relaxing. And it's online. It's, it's online. You're teaching it online. Yeah. So it's obviously the situation has been very fluid, and um, each school is kind of making its own decisions. So right now I'm teaching a class with art center students, and um, we're kind of slowly shifting into a kind of a hybrid model where like if it's just a lecture material there's no reason for people to get together we, we can do it online but if we work with hardware if we work with something and that's hands-on like a workshop type thing um then yeah we can we're we're thinking about how to organize this on the ground and how do you enjoy doing online classes do you feel like interaction is the same do you feel like you stay connected with your students in the same way as you would be in person face-to-face so um it's obviously different and there's been a lot of kind of learning and exploration and interestingly enough i actually made it a subject of one of my classes um we in the spring we uh, uh we did a did kind of design exploration into the into the territory of like work environment for the future right like what is work going to be like including you know educational work as it is, and so um, I think the the crux of the issue, as we find out, is always about communication, mm-hmm. how to structure communication. And I think some of the insights that we had is that um, uh, on the ground communication, face to face, provides for a certain serpent- serendipity, mm-hmm. right? That's missing online, where you can just like bump into a colleague in the hallway and just quickly hash out an idea or just check in or like mm-hmm. some like those unexpected little meetings that actually grow into huge projects mm-hmm. um, that rarely happens online, if ever, right? You just don't bump into somebody on Zoom. 
So, uh, but yeah. I think the, the there's a flip side to that too, uh, where I think Zoom has provided for more structured communication. So one thing that we've done some research, one thing we found out is that people who normally don't feel heard in the room, and that's, I mean, unfortunately, that's a lot of women and minorities hmm. in business meetings. They feel like they're more heard because Zoom provides for a more structured and more disciplined approach for a conversation. And so it's, it's more difficult to interrupt somebody on Zoom. I agree. So, so they feel like they can. I have a hard time better. interrupting you right now. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, no, I totally agree with that. So, so I think there's there are both pluses and minuses, and I think we're looking at this as as designers, as educators, as professionals. We're looking at this as more of an opportunity to discover a new model. So then, um, so what I hear you say is that there's this, this serendipity element, which is absent in Zoom, but um, that that's more of, um, you know, if you're outside of class, right? Like if you're walking in a hallway, um, in, that, in that sense, the, that sense of community is not there, where there's the random things, whether it's student bumping, bumping into each other or colleagues or, or other teachers. So this, this, the spontaneity is not there, right? For the community to have more rich experience. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah, and then, and then for the actual communication in class, you you say that it's actually in some ways better because it directly in class, not outside of class, there is better communication because people that may not have been heard, and you say it's women or minorities, actually now have have an opportunity to speak, right? Mm -hmm. mm. And then that's also very interesting. But also, you also mentioned that. Um, at times it's it's difficult to interrupt someone on Zoom, which means, I, I have a question, which means that people that are more likely to speak, especially in face-to-face, -face, could be speaking more, right? And you would have to find a way to, you know, structurally interrupt them and, and find a way to, for others to jump in, right? Yeah, and I think the, the conversation becomes more formal and there's always a moderator, right? There's always, like if somebody's being inappropriate, if I am the host of the meeting, I can always mute them. I can always bump them out, right? If somebody is, um, if I feel that somebody is hogging all the time, I can directly uh, ping somebody and say like, hey, what, what do you think, right? What's, what's your take here? And I mean, flip side for the students is that like, it's more difficult to hide in the back row because exactly. there's no more back row if everybody is on, mm -hmm. on the screen. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, it, it's just, it's more structured. And do you find grades are better or people are retaining more and, and, and learning more as a result? No, no, no. Um, that's I, I, that has not been my experience. I think a lot of people are burnt out, and that, um, and a lot of people are missing that human factor, mm -hmm. right? The sense of community is gone, right? So I had I ju we just graduated a class of seniors, and um, out of the two, like junior and senior year, like of their of their school, right? That two 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 years where they're actually honing their profession the two of the last years in college only one semester they spent together 
-hmm. The other three semesters, they were online. And all of their sort of like cohort experience, all of their kind of interpersonal communications are based on their interactions during that one semester because everything else is structured and probably too structured for for people to um, feel at ease mm -hmm. in the, mm -hmm. with the others because learning is always group learning yeah. right it's always learning from each other yeah. um, so that has been challenging and grades are suffering I don't know if they're retaining material better I I mean we're doing the best we can. Do they write um, reports? Do they do they have to write reports to you, or is, is it different yeah. learning? It's well. So the usually the deliverables are presentations mm -hmm. on design research, on their design directions, what they're doing, how they're thinking about things. Um, there's critiques, um, which um, actually I, critiques have not suffered all that much. I would say. Um, it's, it's been great for design critiques, um, but the process itself, right? The design process is always a process of discovery, process of something, finding something unexpected. Yeah. And so that's that element of surprise, that element of finding something unexpected has certainly suffered. What does the future hold? So we hope that, you know, mm -hmm. that we would come back to, you know, face to face, Obviously, in my practice, you know, I have been doing hypnosis and coaching, right? And uh, even before the pandemic, things have, you know, I've mo I moved from New York to California and my, the majority of my clients come from New York and I was convincing them to do Zoom. 50% of my clients would be okay with Zoom. Now, 95% of my clients are okay with Zoom. Mm -hmm. I even um, left, I, have an, I had an office in La Jolla and I just, you know, let, I've let go of it and... Um, all of my sessions are now online. I'm happy with it. It's much better for me. I, you know, I'm closer to you know home, and I don't have to drive anywhere. So in that sense, it's good. And I don't particular particularly particularly want to do in you know in office sessions right now and workshop more so workshops. Yes, I want to do face to face workshops, and that's something I really 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 look forward to. What about you? What's coming so up? I, I mean, I think. I don't think, I mean, again, my own personal kind of view of this is it's, it's, a, it's a bit of an uncharted territory and we need to experiment a lot. So there's what I'm seeing first and foremost in the near future is a lot of experimentation and that's kind of already happening. And experimentation has to do with so many different factors. There's so many different things. So um, distance physical distance, right, is one of those. Uh, we have a lot of international students um, and international students, some of them would be eager to come to California, right, and experience that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the experience of college life, especially in a city like Los Angeles is fantastic, right? Yeah. Um, but um, others are actually quite comfortable staying wherever they are and in the comfort of their home and in the comfort of their country and learning uh, remotely. So there's there's this mm -hmm. aspect to balance. Uh, another one is kind of like the approach to the material. Um, it's, I think, so there's, 
uh, for 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 the for the risk of sounding a little bit too obscure, there are a lot of conversations in design about like what is design, what it like, um, what designers are even supposed to do. Because I'm sure you've heard the term design thinking; it's like everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Right? No, and I haven't like, heard. Oh. Please let me know what is it. But design a thinking. lot of businesses are kind of like adopting quote unquote design thinking, and it started with Apple with Steve Jobs, kind of like. Um, putting designers at the forefront of the business. And then a lot of others started kind of following the examples. Mm-hmm. There is chief design officers, chief creative officers in oh, a lot of businesses. Wow. Just like um, there would be a CFO, a chief financial officer, right? Or right. now it's just chief design officer. That's interesting. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that a lot of that comes from the sort of part of the design process that is focused on the user focused on the customer. So designers have a lot to offer from that perspective. Yeah. And I think it looks like they, more value is being put on design because in our culture, when things move fast, we're spent, you know, people spend so much time online, design matters, quality design matters. You know, even if it's very, very simple, like simple Apple, I've heard that so many designers have worked on that little Apple with, you know, two little detail and angles and all everything. So this, it does matter and pleasing to the eye, right? It's so intuitive. I, I can see that. So, and uh, I mean, in part, that's actually a luxury that we can afford because we kind of figured out how to make things work, right? Now we're learning how to make them enjoyable. Mm. We already take for granted the fact that they work, the fact that things will function. And if they break, we'll just make another thing cheaply and quickly. Right. So that's kind of like something we take for granted. And so now the exploration is like how to make them work in such a way that's enjoyable, pleasing and satisfactory. Right. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of what design um, was about for a very long time. And now a lot of businesses kind of starting to wake up to this um, and um, designers essentially start coming in almost as business consultants. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, of course, uh, great on some part. It's a, from some from some angle, right? That's that's fantastic that design is taking a more prominent seat at the corporate table. But at the same time, I think that robs designers of another important aspect of what they do, and that is making, right? So making what? So anything, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So like designers started thinking more than they're making. Right. If you're a graphic designer, you would actually be at the at the print, right? At the at the or at the silk screening machine or whatever it is that you're making. If you are a, um, a product or like industrial designer, you would be in the lab, like actually making materials, right? And so, uh, a lot of designers, when they graduate today, they kind of don't expect making to be a part of the oh, I see. So they just of their professional uh, practice. They, they right. expect to just think. think. Just be consultants. Consultants. Right. Essentially. Right. And like right. there's this image of if you Google for like um, um, design process, you will see a whiteboard with sticky notes on it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's kind of like this prevailing image of like people in front of the whiteboard with tons of sticky notes. Yeah, okay, that's sure it's there, it's part of it. But a lot of people see that as that's the only thing that designers do. They just stand in front of boards with sticky notes and think all day, 
right? Um, and that's something that I think has been to a great detriment of design because people only see this one single avenue for arriving at solutions. And this is something that I personally have been kind of trying to reinstate as a part of design is the, the, the making, the prototyping, right? The, when your product, <laughs> your product looks like this, right? Like this is, this is something that is like in the very raw stages and you're just tinkering with it and kind of trying to figure out what can this product tell you about itself. So in other words, let's say you, you're teaching students and um, looks like if they are just the thinkers, right? Not the makers. What you're, what you're saying here, you're encouraging them to both think and make. And making could be that even if they're a consultant to a large company and uh, they're advising and, 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 and teaching design and all the aspects of design, could it be possible for them to make something on a side, at least to practice, you know, practice the art of making, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even say on the side. I think it's just, um, it's kind of like an, like if you think about it, it's an approach uh, for arriving at a solution, right? So usually designers, we, we're tasked with like, all right, so we have a, we have a problem, right? Um, let's say as a graphic designer, right? I'm not, I'm not a graphic designer, I, but I have some knowledge there. So as a graphic designer, you have a certain amount of information, usually as text and images mm -hmm. that you need to present to a person. And you need to make it uh, legible. You need to make it understandable. You need to make it culturally contextualized, right? Mm -hmm. Is it a poster for a food festival or is it an invitation to a classical music recital, right? you need to contextualize it culturally, you need to convey all of these messaging. And so mm -hmm. you're kind of like take these components and you try to now um, organize them in an interesting and appropriate way. And that's a problem that you're trying to solve, right? And um, I think um, a lot of designers that kind of distance themselves from that process and rather than actually taking those elements and um, starting to kind of engage with them physically, let's say, import them into an InDesign mm -hmm. or some other software application and kind of like try to arrive at a formal solution, they start um, they start um, thinking. They start thinking about first and foremost, like, oh, but like, um, what's the messaging here? What's the cultural context? And so, and the, the outcome of that thinking ends up not being a poster, but a Google Doc that they then pass on to the client, to the ad agency, for example, and they call that product design strategy. So what can they add as far as making? So they do all that, so, they do the thinking. What, what does making look like? What do they have to do when they make as well in that process? So I think, so I think like what's happening is when you think about a problem, when you think about a product, you are imposing your own solution onto whatever it is that you're creating, right? You're kind of like, your will as a creator is being imposed on whatever it is that you're making. You can approach it from exactly the opposite perspective. When you just start making and you all, and you almost like listen to what does this thing want to become? You okay. start listening to what does that poster want to look like? You start listening to your creations rather than imposing your own will on that. Okay. And, and yeah, and that's kind of like culturally very, very different approach. Um, and I'm not saying that one is better than the other. Sometimes 
be a combination, um, right? A combination yeah. of both. But what I hear you say is that it's really, you also want there to be a, a form of art, not just the processes and strategies and, and, and the thinking, but also, as you, as you said, listening to it. What does it tell me? What word, instead of just focusing on the solution, right? But also being more present, more aware. So it's very kind of meditative in a sense, right? Because you, you are an artist. I know you. I know you have, you're an artist in, in many ways, right? You're a thinker, you're a professor, but you're also an artist. So what you're trying to do is teach your students to, to stay more connected, right? To, to the work. Right. Yeah. And even more than art, it's craft. Right. So I have this, I have this spiel that I give my students about um, what, like my own sort of perspective on why do we admire the old masters, quote unquote, in painting, right? Why do we admire renaissance um, masters or like the um, like sort of medieval um, Chinese uh, scrolls, like they're so beautiful. And so I th from my perspective, the reason why I think that's happening um, is because the artists who made them, they didn't think of themselves as like this sort of high artist on a pedestal who's this like beautiful creator. Uh, Michelangelo, uh, started as an apprentice mason, right? He would go into the quarry and he would cut the marble at like, yeah. obviously at the age of 10, not that I condone child labor, right? But um, he would go and he would start working with the material, with the marble for years, right? Leonardo da Vinci used to crush paint, crush minerals into paints as an apprentice yeah. Yeah. for a very long time and then mm -hmm. mix those paints. And so they knew the material so well. And yeah. so they listened to the marble, they listened to the paint, they listened to what those materials were telling them, to what Looks they like wanted to become. Looks like you're doing a lot of uh, mushrooms on the, somewhere after your classes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. It's good stuff you're talking about, really good stuff. Yeah, I, 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 so I, I think, really it. And I think that really translates very well to the, to the modern designer, right? If you know technology, that you're working with, mm -hmm. right? If you know, like for example, as a web designer, if you know how to code and you know what code allows you to do and prevents you from doing, and you know how to play with that material, right? You come up with a very different design and a very different approach. And somewhere in that kind of push and pull between um, it allowing and preventing, it, are there some very, very interesting and innovative solutions interesting uh, like you can yeah. arrive at it's very interesting um it does look like we are all you know here on this planet playing this big game big scenario every one of us has their own experience and scenario and even like there are certain narratives you know cultural narratives design narratives design trends you know all websites are kind of designed similarly like squarespace has its own idea about design, right? The lots of pictures, mm -hmm. the really nice fonts. Um, and it, it's kind of, it's been like that for a while. Then it looks like what has become popular is becoming, uh, using a lot of graphics, like Headspace website um, has a lot of, uh, you know, cool graphics um, and, as opposed to just, you know, those awesome pictures. And um, I also found that some websites, really unusual websites now have, you know, their navigation on the side or just little, literally like three words for navigation that are not 
necessarily up uh, on the top you know it's it's really unusual you look at it and, and you're like this is really really different it doesn't comply with this general either a rule or a trend that everybody knows of you know and it looks like people who are connected to their to their work um could, could be on the forefront of creating new new forms new forward movement into a new design of course others will start copying and you know making it a more solid popular trend right but these things thinkers that you're talking about are always the creatives you know they're the center of attention in a sense well i mean if you if you want to continue with that design with the web design kind of analogy um a web design is a face of a business, a website, right? So if you if you want your business to stand out, right, um, it's very hard to do so if you're in Squarespace. Every Squarespace website looks exactly the same, yeah. right? I can I can almost look at it and be like, oh yeah, I know I know how like where where how it was done, right? Because and that actually is kind of like this inherent understanding that we as as users of the web, right? We don't necessarily register it deeply, but there is this kind of, like on the back of our mind, we kind of like, we register that cookie cutter approach. Like mm -hmm. this website looks exactly like all the other websites, right? So, and it, it, and so we just pile it into the same basket of all of those websites. Yeah. But if something stands out, whether it's visually, whether it's from the perspective of interaction. And it takes very little for it to stand out. Like for example, like one of those brilliant interaction things that made um, an experience stand out was Tinder, right? You swipe left or you swipe right. Mm -hmm. Like when it arrived, it was like, it was revolutionary. Yeah. And, it, and it, all there is, is just in the gesture, left or right. And it's so right. easy. Yeah. yeah, and it's a simple, or like another another beautiful example is pinch to zoom, right? When Apple introduced yeah. iPhone, it's like, it's so intuitive. There's absolutely nothing that we do in the physical world that even, even remotely resembles that. We never pinch to zoom anything on our table or anything yeah. in our lives. And yet it is immediately recognizable. Like, oh yeah, I know what it does and I know how. But so that's a function though. It's a function it, or a it's, design. It's a function uh, design. It's it's a yeah it's a it's an interactive gesture right and it's it's been designed mm -hmm. and it's some okay. very interesting stories behind how the gestures were designed and what like how they came about but um, I think if you want a website to stand out if you want your application to stand out whatever it is you have to come up with new ways you have to come up with you have to dig deep right in order to fish something out. So really what you're talking about, the design, not necessarily the the aesthetic, like the, the look, the artistic look, but also the actual design of the functions, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not just looking at the picture, like you would uh, look at Leonardo da Vinci, which is a beautiful right. picture. We for Today mm -hmm. we're living in a different world. Design is much more than just an actual final look. It's interactive, like it's what this the zoom takes you, where it takes you, what the swipe is taking you, right? So it's more of a functional yeah. design. So we talk, we talk about designing behaviors. Designing so we design behavior. behaviors, Ooh, behaviors, the way the system behaves, mm -hmm. like a web app, 
or a website or an application on a phone, how it behaves and how the user behaves in response. So we kind of like, we design this back and forth of behavior between the application and the, and the user. Yeah, and we do have things like augmented reality, which hasn't taken its way yet, right? Um, you've seen the movie Her, right? Yeah. Like in Phoenix. It's really, really an amazing film, um, I think. Augmented reality is really amazingly uh, shown in that film. What do you think? Are we, are we going there in that direction into augmented, similar design? I, I mean, yes. There's, there are a lot of things that are happening in sort of uh, on, the, on the edge space of design, right? Like where um, um, new technologies, new materials, new possibilities are kind of opening themselves up to designers. Um, so augmented reality, well, I, I mean, usually we talk about mixed reality, right? Mixed reality is this kind of this spectrum from full VR, where you completely are encased and immersed in an environment mm -hmm. um, to, to like just little snippets where you, it could be like just you opening like something on your phone and pointing it in some direction and seeing like a little character run around, kind of like what Snapchat does, right? Um, so there's like this whole spectrum of mixing uh, artificial reality with, you know, the, the one that we already haven't, have get, we're, we're given from yeah. the start, right? Okay. So um, it, that's one area. And I think that's, that's where a lot of exploration happens around like how to structure those behaviors and how do people find themselves in those environments? How do they situate themselves in there? What uh, kind of like, what's the, what are the opportunities there? What are the issues? Um, and a lot of people are starting to think about kind of like, what does it mean on a larger scale, right? Like in the same sense that like people who don't have access to the internet right now, to the, to, to the ability to, to, to view websites are um, severely impaired when it comes to looking for jobs, when it comes to find, like uh, getting educated um, mm -hmm. and especially during the pandemic, right? Like a good internet connection is a must. Access to the web is a must if you want to do anything mm -hmm. in the world. So people who don't have that are impaired severely. So what does it mean for us to adopt mixed reality widely when it becomes necessary, right? So what happens to people who can't afford the technology that allows it? What happens to people who don't want to engage in it, right? And it's- It looks like they're, we kind of moving in that direction of, in a sense, you can say the global distribution because certain trends are that life has gotten better. Poverty has decreased even in those countries where it was there 15 years ago when we first came to, you know, when I came to New York, I remember there was so much, a lot of conversation how people are living under $2. Um, mm -hmm. It's a lot, lot better now, 15 years later, you know, there's, there's water, there's education. So it looks like we're moving in the direction that where more and more people have access, right, to these type of things, along with, you know, development of these technologies. So, I, I mean, I don't want to be a pessimist, obviously. Yeah. It's, I, I completely agree with you that, yes, we do have, like, generally the um, um, 
life expectancy is increasing, poverty is decreasing, right? Like the, the access to services is increasing. Those great trends, we have opposite trends as well, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and it, it's, I think it's more that every sort of, every time period, every generation, every new development uh, presents its own set of challenges. And, you know, it's, it's great that we got those things under control or like the, the trends there are going, um, uh, going into the positive direction, but we have our own sets of challenges. And for example, income inequality and the vast growth of income inequality, um, is something that we have to pay attention to. Income inequality between 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 the rich and the poor. Oh, in in that sense, yeah. Right. So yeah, overall, yeah. if you look if you look at the if the, you look yeah, at yeah. the wealth of nations, quote unquote, uh, yes, it's growing. Well, income inequality. You're talking more like uh, the, the the gap. The the, the, yes. the yeah, right. Yeah. The yeah, but the, as far as income equality between men and women, that seems to be fine. In my my always I mean we still we're still somewhere around 75 cents on the dollar right mm-hmm. for like a woman gets 75 cents on the dollar for a job that a man does okay um so it's it's still there and I think um a lot of the growth um happens um in the rich and ultra rich sector of yeah. the population so and and so that's that's where the design conversations are kind of starting around. Like, what are we doing with those technologies? How are we serving, and whom are we serving with mm. these technologies? Whom are we serving with technologies? Right, right. So is mixed it rich? reality. <laughs> well, yeah. And so, like, mixed reality is one of those things where designers are starting to step into. Another one is AI, and a lot of designers are working with machine learning and artificial intelligence, and. Um, yeah, it's and not available is, to regular regular people. Like, I mean, it, it it is, but it it sounds like it it's not, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and it's almost it it almost feels like it's intentionally sounds like it's not, because I teach my students about how to how to work with machine learning, and it's not difficult. I, I some of my students do it, students do it on an undergraduate level. Right. They work with machine learning and and they find their way into it. Well, machine um, learning is a, is a it's a, something that is learned and implemented for me. Like, let's say if I'm using an app like a meditation app, it's learning about me. So it's learning about me, what I'm choosing, what type of meditations I've used, what kind of issues I have. And then in the end, it offers me something. Right. So that's the machine learning function. Kind of. I mean, that's one of the applications. Right. Essentially, machine learning is about feeding a bunch of data into a very complex algorithm and the algorithm finding patterns. See, and then based on that pattern, it makes it can make predictions. So that's available to everybody, rich, poor, pretty much anyone. The only reason, the only difference is that maybe some, some folks may not afford an app like Headspace or Calm, but... I, uh, many people like Sam Harris, for instance, with his app called Waking Up, a wonderful app, one of my favorite apps, actually, uh, with lots of lectures and great meditations. It's offered for, completely for free to, to people. You know, he literally says, yeah. if you can't afford it, just write an email. No questions asked. We'll give it to you for free. Sure. Have you heard uh, of that I app? Mean, I haven't, but I'm <laughs> sure. I mean, so, so lots of apps are free, mm-hmm. and, but we're paying for them somehow. 
With our attention, yeah? You mean with our attention, with our data. That's true. Right? So like so surprisingly, one of my favorite apps is also the one that pries on my data. Which uh, app may may you uh, dueling dual yeah dueling you love that app, yeah. I love that app, but it's one of the most invasive ones. Huh. It tries to gain access to everything it can, right? Because and they just IPO'd. Um, and the reason why they IPO'd is because um, even though they provide a fantastic service absolutely for free, all you have to do is just watch a couple of ads here and there. Mm-hmm. Their main business model is structured around uh, gathering and selling your data. Right. So they are selling. So your data. What type so of data are they selling? Like, I mean, I'm learning Portuguese. It's pretty much they give me the words and sentences. What can they possibly gather from me? What else? Your location. Okay. The location of other people in that same area who are also learning Portuguese. People you might be interacting with on a regular basis, right? People who are in your contacts if you give them access to it. Um, what other apps do you have installed on your phone? So they so, know what other apps I'm using. Just if you, yes. So there is a, something called a psychographic profile, mm-hmm. right? That a lot of apps are able to pull together based on some very, um, very few dimensions, right? Um, That's really unethical. Uh, <laughs> but it's free. Yeah, it's right? free. That's why, yeah. So you pay for it somehow. Yeah. Um, so then, and that's the way the conversations for us as designers starts, like whom are we serving, right? On one hand, we're providing those free services to the, to everybody who wants them. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's a very small group of people who are growing very rich on that. And most of them are concentrated in San Francisco Bay area. So we either we're serving those people, we're giving the apps for free, you're asking, or are we serving... We, when you say we, who are we? Designers. Designers. Okay. So designers, oh, are you serving with your design? Are you serving mm-hmm. the other people who are collecting information? And these other people right. are the founders of those companies, like the founder of Duolingo or founder of certain apps, right? So, I mean, okay. the, just for the lack of a better, like for lack of a better example, Facebook is designed they have a very large number of designers on their team um, and it works the way it was designed. Um, and, and, um, hmm. and, and uh, Uber was designed and it, it works the way it was designed. And the fact that um, it will charge a higher rate for a ride in a lower income area it's built into it and designers had, had a, their hand at it, right? The fact that Facebook fully embraces. Are you the, teaching designers to ask questions? Like if you come into a company and they sensing something unethical, like what you're just describing, are you teaching them to ask questions? Because if they do, they'll be fired. They're not going to get a job. They're not going to be fired because if they're going to be fired, who's going to design those things? They hire another designer who's not going to ask questions. And if that designer starts asking questions. So right. here's the thing, uh, and here I, I can, like this conversation actually in many ways mirrors a really interesting book called Ruined by Design by Mike mm-hmm. Monteiro, um, where he, like, he raises a lot of these questions. Um, and I, it's, a, it's a great book. It's not without, 
its own sort of weak points, but there are some, there are some analogies that I would borrow from there. Um, that designers have a, a, a huge impact on the world, right? Because what we do as designers of digital experiences impacts daily lives of billions of people. Uh, and so, but we are, there, there's absolutely no accountability for what we do, right? If you- An uncharted area, right? There are no rules and regulations for some of these things. So if you look at lawyers, lawyers have to pass a bar exam. And the part of, a huge part of that bar, bar exam is ethics. If lawyers don't behave ethically, they yeah. lose their license. And mm-hmm. we we all know some very prominent ones who lost their licenses yeah. for unethical behavior. Exactly. Same, same no with doctors. Thing, no such thing in design right now? There's no such thing. Designers can do whatever the hell they want, and and same with doctors, it, right? In medical in medical community, yeah, there is a Hippocratic oath. Exactly, they have to take that oath, and they can lose their medical license if they don't behave ethically. Uh, and again, many many doctors have. So I think it's um, and yeah, it's it is definitely part of uh, the classes mm-hmm. that I teach. And it, it is yeah. new. It's it's new. It didn't exist before the technology, before all of these things that you're describing, if, you know, Facebook or Duolingo, you know, taking our information that didn't exist. So it, it seems like it has to be implemented. Are there any people who are thinking about it and putting these structures in, in place, like, you know, ethic, ethics and some code, code of ethics that you have to pass? Like, I don't know. There are initiatives. There are workshops there are people going giving their TED talks about this and okay um but there is no structural um uh, large-scale structural uh, initiative uh, yeah. for one very simple reason it's moving too fast so we're talking about the design of facebook we're talking about the design of um you know apps that we all know and use today twitter tinder uh and so on What's moving so too that, fast? Sorry, what's moving? The design, the, the, whole the field. technology? Yeah, the whole field. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, all those apps were designed 10 years ago, right? Facebook, 14 years ago. Oh, yeah. And um, by now, uh, Facebook is pending elections and changing economies, right? And it only took 15 years, right? Yeah. And, and that's when technology in 2006 technology meant the web right now nobody thinks about the web as technology it's already background yeah technology is machine learning technology is virtual reality that's technology right and so that's why i'm saying that we as designers as we start engaging in those areas i want us to learn from the lessons of the previous for frontier of technology. What are these lessons? Uh-huh. Well, um, we have to think about um, the larger impact. Very soon, if if not already, there's going to be a, a uh, an application that's based on machine learning. It's based on some kind of artificial intelligence that's going to impact lives of billions of people every day, for better or worse. Right? There's like there's some who are affecting hundreds of millions, like for example, the uh, facial recognition system implemented by the Chinese government, mm-hmm. right? The pervasive social credit system they have in China. 
uh, we are going to move to the scale of billions very soon. And so um, we as designers, we need to raise red flags of what is it going to mean for us and for what we th how we think things should be, right? There's a lot of the conversation about how things are and doing research and figuring out where we're at. But I, want, I would like for design to start engaging with the ethics around the question of not just how things are, but also how do we think things should be? Okay, that's a good, that's a good point. How do we think things should be? But again, these are large, large, large systems that you can't, it's hard to, you know, for the lack of a better word, it's hard to go against them or it's hard to question them. They're already set systems, you know? And um, well, we, you and I, we both lived through a complete collapse and disintegration of a huge system right? called Soviet Union. Yeah. And if somebody asked our parents around the time when we were born, how long do you think Soviet Union is going to exist? They would be like, I don't know, forever, for mm -hmm. hundreds of years. And 10 years later, the whole thing came crushing down. So it, yeah. it, Honestly, it was hard. Like, it was hard. When things crash down, things are hard. Implementation of new systems and that 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 change in, in transition. You know how you remember mm -hmm. how hard it was in the nineties. You know, people's behavior and you know attitudes yeah. and obviously it was very difficult. But I hear you say that it it could be coming. And because that system and we know the example, the Soviet Union broke, even though our parents didn't think it would. So. These systems that are hard systems that, are, that are, are in place right now, and there's a lot of conversation happening in, in colleges, like you speaking as a professor about the unethics and the need of ethical, some sort of code of ethics, and students who could be questioning the systems. And really, you ask the question, how do we think about them, right? What, what did you say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, how do we think about the systems? So, mm -hmm. so when they come in, you want them to be more aware as opposed to becoming heard and just move with it and do as the system or the higher-ups are saying right but really think yeah. through it that's probably a first step the awakening in a sense right the awakening right now yeah and i do think that a lot of that sentiment has been put to sleep mm -hmm. right we i mean the word student was almost associated with rebellion like 40 years ago right student-led rebellions were everywhere um, and what I see in students today, right, my students, they're brilliant. I, I love them. I admire them. I, I was, compared to them, I was so, like, they're so disciplined. They're so brilliant. They're so innovative. I was nowhere near where they are when I was a student. Um, but what I see is that their primary concern is how to pay back student loans. Mm -hmm. Their primary concern is to how to find a job. Their primary concern is not how to, how to build a better world. It's how to survive in whatever world we have. And, um, and I believe that, that this situation too is by design. It had, this situation has been designed and has, it has been imposed on the students today as a deliberate limitation. So that what? So that, what? So that I mean, you're not going to go toppling governments and toppling systems if you have 
uh, loans to pay and food to put on your table. And if you're drowning in rent and debt. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you so, have other concerns to think about other fears. Yeah. And, yeah. So, um, hmm. so yeah, that, that's, that is a concern, but I am for my part, I'm trying to at least tell them that those questions and those things are out there and they should at least every once in a while yeah. ponder those. So interesting. You know, we, we've been talking for 15 minutes and now we're just getting to the meat of everything. And I want to keep asking more and more. Um, that's why I understand why Joe Rogan has two and a half hour podcasts, you know, usually Jesus. after an hour, there's just like, it's all like happening. Um, but I'm sure you and I will meet again and talk again. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think about gender pronouns? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because people have mixed views. Um, I, I have mine. And yeah. I am very happy to learn anybody's. Anybody, yeah. any, and I actually like that's one of the things that during the orientation in class, um, we have in the sort of like you can fill out your little like personal profile online and pronouns are part of that profile. I'm asking okay. people for, for a few things, a pronunciation of your name. Mm -hmm. And if I'm, if I fuck it up, sorry, right. Yeah. You can please correct me and please mm -hmm. keep con correcting me until I get it right because I'm stupid. Right. And so it's your name and I will pronounce it. However you would like me to pronounce it and same with pronouns. It's your pronouns. And I so you invite them to, to introduce absolutely. That's, Absolutely. That's great. And um, this is really, in a sense, it was very un unusual, of course, when it first came out. And especially, you know, I, I did email you about asking about Jordan Peterson, what you think of him. Um, what, what do you think about? Are you pro-Jordan Peterson, anti-Jordan Peterson, or curious Jordan Peterson? Oh, God, I don't know much about Jordan Peterson besides... The, besides the fact that he's kind of a proponent of extreme individualistic philosophy where everything is kind of placed on the individual. And uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. Okay. Uh, I think the power of community is certainly underappreciated. And like, and, and th there's much to be said about the power of community of people coming together. You're progressive, Rod right? <laughs> uh, am I progressive? Yes, sure. We can call it this way. I, call, I mean, I, if I were to define myself, I would call myself radical in many senses. Radical? Would you, so are you like a, in a progressive in the sense left, that, like radical left in a sense? Well, I don't want to be, I don't want to say that I'm a tanky, right? That's, okay. that's just... But you are that's radical. Too, yeah. It's just too too simple. Yeah. There is like we talked about systems, right? So yeah. whenever we talk about systems, we have to talk about complexity. Yeah. And I see the world as very complex. Mm -hmm. But yeah. in order to deal with this complexity, I do tend to go to the root. And that's where I say that I'm a radical in, in that sense that I go to the root of things. And I try to understand where things stem from, but also want to keep an eye on like where they should be going, where my moral so that's, compass. That was my question. Yeah. So you are interested in seeing where the, your, your, your 
radical person, you're a system thinker, you see problems and you want to understand where the problem comes from. But at the same time, you want to think about where we're going, right? How to how to improve things. So, and yeah. what you're doing as a professor, you're encouraging this conversation, you're encouraging students to um, also make, as opposed to just think, you're, you're encouraging mm -hmm. them to be aware and ask questions, right? And understand mm -hmm. the importance of ethics um, mm -hmm. and also the, the, the larger systems and what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. Be more more awake in that sense, like an, an awakened mm -hmm. awakened designer, right? Right in the sense, like a sure, yeah, sure. Um, awakened um, is that the word? Is awakened, awoke, awakened, awakened designer? Uh, woke designer. Woke designer. There you go. Um, no, it's I don't I don't like that term. It has been obviously trivialized and sort of like yeah, I know. It's just, like, this term has intended, been a little bit. Like, intended, I'm not meaning, kind of. I think. I think. So like I talked in the beginning about making and making is really necessary for us to be designers uh, in order to create things. Thinking is necessary for understand what should be created and why it needs to be, mm -hmm. right? So there are these two things, like, right? You, you design something, but you also have to be aware of why you're designing, for what purpose, with what goal mm -hmm. and for whose benefit. I like that. So you're a thinker, you're a professor. Are you, what are you making? What else are you, are you making anything? I remember you used to make music. Are you making anything, any art when you're not working? Yeah, I mean, bit by bit, I'm, I have, I'm, I'm a restless person and I have different interests. Um, and so this is, this is what usually my summers are about. I try to kind of take on some personal projects in the summer. Um, and for a couple of years, I've been uh, kind of diving deeper into um, uh, into the intersection of math, geometry, computer graphics, mm. and visual exploration. So computer art, math art, that kind of stuff. Interesting. Um, tools. Um, I am math deficient. I was horrible. I got a C in algebra in high school. It was terrible. But I think right now I'm in, in the process of rediscovery of mathematics. You're in the discovery of your inner mathematician. You know, yes. it, it all depends on teachers too. You know, I, I remember I wasn't doing incredibly well in math, but also was part of the reason was I actually had, I, I wore glasses Right, mm -hmm. I had bad eyesight, and then people started making fun of me that I wear glasses, you know, just throw glassy, like four-eyed in person. So I took them off, and I couldn't really see um, the class board or, or really see the teacher speak. And my grades weren't amazing uh, at that time. I remember, but I do believe it. It also depends on your environment and how you're being directed by it. So you may have a mathematician in you. It just maybe it wasn't the right time or point, and I'm so glad you're doing it. I, me too. And I think about math as an important science, really important. And I was surprised by myself the other day when I was having a conversation with someone, I was so into the conversation and I quickly solved math questions like, doo -doo 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 -doo. I'm like, how did I do this? I was so in tune. It was almost came from my unconscious. And then I tried to do the same thing. Like as I was started thinking through all the numbers that I've come up with, I'm like, oh, that's, that was very intuitive. And it's almost like, Ma there's this inner math in you and it's just so intuitive you can see it visually and, and, and start like figuring out those numbers it's really fascinating yeah. 
Max, 10 years ago, I remember we were in Subway uh, in Brooklyn. I think it was like Park Slope or something. We we're going back to Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And I asked you a question. I said, what do you want to do? Like, where do you see yourself? Um, and you said, I want to be a professor. I want to be a professor. I'm like, seriously? Like a professor? Like, like yeah, I'm teaching in college. I'm like, okay. So here you are. You are a professor teaching in college. Great. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Where oh, are you? What are you doing? Know. Who knows? Who knows? I have no idea. Um, yeah, I mean, I've changed so many jobs that, like, it was it was a long and winding path from a busboy to a professor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but now you're a professor. You're not going to change many, many jobs. I, right? I, I won't, but, like, who knows? Maybe I'll have a restaurant, right? True. Or, or maybe I will go and be a monk. Or maybe, like, I have no idea, right? Like, I mean, so like I said, like I have those like weird interests, like right now I'm into math. And so math, maybe you'll have like, an art gallery where you're gonna display some sort of mathematical equations and geometrical sacred geometry art or something, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll become a researcher. Maybe I'll go and like make an app and get like massive funding and, and nice. go go retire who knows there you go know. back just, to your roots just, back to the making Ma maxine uh -huh. this is the whole conversation just you're thinking honestly, a lot you're thinking a lot i i hear you thinking a lot a lot of thinking you're on the right track about making it's time to make sure at the same time to make <laughs> you I'm just, honestly like i'm like i'm just trying to keep things interesting for myself like i'm here for a short amount of time on this planet earth and I just want to keep things, yeah. and I just want to keep things interesting. Right? Let's keep them. I don't want. I don't want to get bored. That's all. We're we're here to play games. We're literally playing games. For me to do this yeah. podcast is really a cool way to entertain myself, to connect with friends, colleagues, people I don't know. I've been really learning a lot. Like today was profound to reconnect with you again and have this incredible conversation and also for our audience to witness this. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you for this and for your time. Time is precious. So thank you. And, um, and I hope to meet with you again. I know we'll meet in person in LA. I'd like to travel and you'll meet my kids, my yeah. two daughters. That would be yeah. really cool. Please um, say hello well, to your wife. I hope she's okay. It's great. Yeah, no, she's doing well. Let's, she's doing um, well. I will. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have to end. It's at 12 o'clock. Yeah. One hour went by so quickly. And uh, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and, Thanks for having uh, me. It was yeah. fantastic. It was really, really fantastic. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Bye.